everyone and welcome back to Read the Right Way with me, Miss Lucas. And me, Miss Skiro. So in this podcast, we are going to be discussing the novel Where the Crawdads Sing uh, by Delia Owens. And this is a novel that's been on our list for some time, purely because everybody that has read it raves about it and loves it. And for good reason. We have loved this, haven't we, Miss Lucas? Absolutely. And I've just read that one of the reviews call it simply unforgettable. Mm. And that is so true. I am not going to forget this novel for a while. This is this has already stuck with me in, in so many wonderful ways. Definitely. And just looking again, now you've drawn my attention to it, vivid and original. And it so is. I don't think I've ever read anything like this or or haven't in a long time, actually, because it's so descriptive um, and it really does take your breath away. That's another quote from the back. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, we have read it, we promise. (laughs) Um, So, Miss Giro, what is the novel about? Tell us. So, um, the novel follows the the life, really, of a girl named Kaya. And she's known as Marsh Girl by the people in the town uh, that she lives in. Um, And... It follows her growing up from about the age of maybe seven or eight, um, as a child at least. Maybe just a bit before, but we don't quite have as much from her really young age, do we? Mm. Because it more starts when she's um being sort of forced to go to school and it, it so starts at that age young, of age of understanding school. yeah definitely primary school age right through till i mean her, her 60s mm-hmm. um and the novel is set um well the the sort of present day i guess you could call it is the 1970s um so it is set in the past but that makes it all the more intriguing so it follows her life her growing up it's a coming of age story and it's just about her kind of navigating navigating romances, um, bringing herself up. She's wild. She's sort of Mm. abandoned by parents and family. But that's all interwoven with a murder mystery. So we're not going to go into too much detail about that because we don't want any spoilers. No, and we'll come on to the narrative structure later as well. But we do need to say that Kaya is nicknamed by pretty much everyone Mm. as the Marsh Girl. And this links to where she she lives, where she's housed. And it's sort of on the outskirts, isn't it? This Mm. Marsh where she lives, her family have lived, um, are on the outskirts of a relatively uh, normal town, I suppose, quite domesticated community. Mm. And she really is an outsider in both location and in personality and presentation. She's completely different to everybody else. And Mm. people almost fear her. They think that she's dirty because she lives in this swampy area. Um, So it really is a story of, I mean, she suffers great prejudice throughout her life. Absolutely. And I think actually if you're struggling to kind of visualize this this marshy area this marsh land compared to the domesticated town if you've seen on netflix the <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna admit here that i actually really enjoyed this show embarrassingly but the uh teen show outer banks um in outer banks you've got the marshy land where john b lives and some of his friends and they are more considered the kind of lower classes in society mm. and then you have the wealthier richer classes in the town and obviously they have their gorgeous incredible boats their beautiful uh, ships and John B has his little teeny tiny boat but he can get it working better than everyone because he knows how to work the land <laughs> and so the marsh is almost like a character itself really exactly isn't it? I think that's what I was trying to say <laughs> The marsh is central to the plot, to the murder mystery, to the protagonist, everything. And it's so important because Delia Owens, the author of the book, um, she is actually 
like a, a wildlife scientist. She's written lots of non-fiction books about wildlife and you could say that she's almost like a, a zoologist. She's an expert on um, the wildlife that is described in the swamp, in the marsh. Mm. And um, that's what makes this book so intriguing. Yeah, and I kind of find it hard to believe with how phenomenal this novel is. I can't believe this is her first piece of fiction. I know. And it's, this is her debut of, of fiction writing. Mm. It's mm. astounding, really. But we'll come on to why it's so astounding in terms of its literary uh, style later in the podcast. So, shall we have a chat about the protagonist, Kaya? Then? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you insist, Miss Lucas. <laughs> okay, so our protagonist, Kaya, as we have said already, is an extraordinary um, person, really, because she's completely different to, to any main character of a story that we've read before. She's relatable in ways, but completely bizarre in others mm. um so wild almost like she is more of a creature okay so we'll start by um reading an extract that describes kaya and uh what she looks like so in this extract um she is talking with a friend of hers tate hey kaya please don't run it's just me tate he said very quietly, slowly, like she was dumb or something. That was probably what the townspeople said of her, that she barely spoke human. Tate couldn't help staring. She must be 13 or 14, he thought. But even at that age, she had the most striking face he'd ever seen. Her large eyes nearly black, her nose slender over shapely lips, painted in an exotic light. She was tall, thin, giving her a fragile, lithesome look, as though modelled wild by the wind. Yet young, strapping muscles showed through with quiet power. Her impulse, as always, was to run. But there was another sensation, a fullness she hadn't felt for years, as if something warm had been poured inside her heart. What a beautiful description. Mm. That is absolutely gorgeous. And, and Kaya is gorgeous. But one of the things that we find interesting when we're reading through this novel is um, sometimes her beauty is absolutely taken advantage of as well. It is that sort of exotic um, difference that mm. she has is what attracts men yeah. to her is what makes those boys interested and in her. she's almost seen as something unattainable and because she's a novelty to the other i suppose what are considered average women in their town mm. it's something that they find really desirable yeah definitely i especially like the part where it says that she has been um molded wild by the wind that metaphor um almost makes her part of the landscape because the wind can shape landscapes can't it mm. it can shape nature um and it's like it has shaped her, the wildness of where she lives has yeah. shaped her. She is described in a Mother Nature way, isn't she? Mm. And also that kind of links to what I want to say about how it says she barely spoke human or as if she barely spoke human. Mm. And in a way, we see throughout the novel that she is more accustomed to being with nature and animals than humans. Mm. So no wonder she barely speaks human because... I mean, humans have not been nice to her, as you will find out in this novel. So exactly. why should she? I really like almost like the a bit of wordplay here from the author, because human, you don't think of it as, an, as a language, but human no. is a language. We all speak it. We all interact with each other. And what you kind of understand here is that she can't even interact with other humans mm. on that 
basic human level that we all do without thinking about it. Absolutely. And also, I mean, I'm looking at so many lexical choices here, so many word choices from the author, and that those simple two words, quiet power, the Mm. fact that she has quiet power. For those of you who go on to read the novel, or those of you who already have, will know that up until the very last page, Kaya has encompassed the idea of having quiet power it's mm. it's and I don't want to give it away I won't because it really will spoil it but she has this power inside her that no one can predict yeah and almost like as she grows up she doesn't know she has it um and her looks are just one aspect of her power okay so something that really struck me about Kaya throughout the novel is how even though she's an outsider she really identifies and can empathize with other outsiders mm. and um in terms of being an other we see the way people are treated in terms of racial prejudice as well and one of these characters um this black man who kind of takes Kaya as well as his wife mm. under under their wing mm. um is called Jumpin and his wife is called Mabel and they they know of Kaya ever since I don't know, her really young age, don't they, I suppose? Yeah, they know her father and therefore they know her, I guess I guess from birth, really. Yeah, and um, there is a point in the novel where Kaya has to adapt uh, on her own and, and basically it's a, it's a life for survival for her all by herself. And um, Jumpin and Mabel are there to look after her and care for her as a father might. And I love this extract because it highlights how, despite them both being outsiders, they are sort of lonely together, Mm. in a way. They can relate to each other. Because of that otherness. Mm. He stared at her. In another time and place, an old black man and a young white woman might have hugged, but not there, not then. She covered his hand with hers, turned and motored away. It was the first time she'd seen him speechless. She kept on buying gas and supplies from him, but never accepted a handout from them again. And each time she came to his wharf, she saw her book propped up in the tiny window for all to see, as a father would have shown it. I remember reading this part and just feeling like so proud of her, but also it's so emotional because her own family have been so rubbish they've neglected her her completely yeah and he steps in as that father figure but it's never really said verbally and that's what makes it even like more special good and it kind of good (laughs) (laughs) treating me like a student (laughs) sorry thank you sorry Miss Kira um Um, And also the bit that really, really fascinates me is how it says, um, because obviously in this time period there would have been racial prejudice, which is absolutely awful, and similar time frame to The Vanishing Half. Yes, so this would be 1950s America. Yeah, 50s to 70s. Yeah. yeah, so it would have been the same time period. Mm. So anyway, um, go and listen to that podcast, by the way. So with this, it does state how an old black man and a young white woman might have hugged, but not there, not then. So they're still aware that they can't have that connection, yeah. but they both accept and appreciate what each is giving to each other. Mm, because there are points where um, Jumpin and Mabel, they help her, they are charitable towards mm. her. So in a way, her social status, economic status is below them absolutely um, and they are going out of their way to help her 
even though they don't have much. And she continues that um, charity, she repays it when she continues to go to jump in shop and buy gas and supplies from him when she doesn't really need to anymore. But we won't say any more about that because that will give away what, what happens in her life. So um, a final extract then is a very short one about Kaya. And this one links to her experiences and the way her life is shaped by others as well as nature. So, for days, Tate didn't return for the reading lessons. Before the feather game, loneliness had become a natural appendage to Kaya, like an arm. Now, it grew roots inside her and pressed against her chest. Wow, that is that is incredible as a metaphor, mm. isn't it? So it's it's unifying her to nature, yes. human to nature, but also I quite like the symbolism with how roots are growing inside of her because roots are meant to make something strong. Mm. So actually it's almost like nature makes her a stronger person. And it's it's inside her and, and nature is maybe also here the thing that isolates her from everybody else. Mm. So you can interpret this in different ways. If she wasn't so connected to nature and mm. shaped and raised by nature, perhaps she would fit in. But because she has been brought up in an isolated way, that those roots grow deeper inside her and therefore she's unable to connect to others and yes. the loneliness she feels is heightened. Definitely. And also you'll notice there that it says about the reading lessons that she receives. Mm. We'll see, well, well, we'll briefly talk about probably later um, how powerful reading becomes for Kaya and how much reading really does enhance knowledge and power and mm. wisdom. Mm. Definitely. Okay, so on to our next point then. Imagery and nature, we want to talk about that next and then we'll talk about narrative structure. Yeah. when we're done with this. So this is an extract from me that I chose, yes. Okay, um, so as we have said, um, nature and the natural imagery is incredibly important in this novel. And it's going to be though, isn't it? Because mm. the author comes from a field of biology and understanding of the natural world, geography, mm. science. So it's going to be phenomenally accurate and, and perceptive detailed. and detailed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I've learned about nature <laughs> we can now write something this good <laughs> we're practically scientists yeah. okay so this is just a moment um from the novel uh, that was particularly beautiful in its description and just at that second the wind picked up and thousands upon thousands of yellow sycamore leaves broke from their life support and streamed across the sky autumn leaves didn't fall they fly they take their time and wander on this their only chance to soar. Reflecting sunlight, they swirled and sailed and fluttered on the wind drafts. Tate sprang from the log and called to her. See how many leaves you can catch before they hit the ground. Kaya jumped up and the two of them leapt and skipped through curtains of falling leaves, reaching their arms wide, snatching them before they fell to the earth. Laughing, Tate dived towards a leaf only inches from the ground, caught it and rolled over, holding his trophy in the air. Kaya threw her hands up, releasing all the leaves she had rescued back into the wind. As she ran back through them, they caught like gold in her hair. I just think that's a beautiful moment. It's I can just envisage stunning, it. isn't it? Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if I was to assign it a percent. <laughs> oh dear. I really like the last line there. The gold in her hair. It's so it's it sort of highlights how much value Kaya does have in this world, doesn't it? It does actually. I hadn't thought about that. 
the gold and the the worth mm. and I guess the the value of nature mm. as well. And also the idea of pathetic fallacy. It's not just... It's not just a happy moment, is it? It's its like a transformation, isn't it? Yes. Summer and actually, linking to the idea of autumn, yeah, mm. I was going to say that. They uh, Authors usually use autumn, any of the months within autumn, to represent a change. And mm. this is actually, in the novel, a turning point for Kaya in terms of adolescence, isn't it? Yeah. And growing up. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I suppose <laughs> in terms of forming relationships with yeah. others as you can probably guess here her and Tate are becoming closer mm. um, and she is growing up she's becoming a teenager and a woman mm. so yes it is like a transformation I really like the the yellow leaves the gold the sunlight it's idyllic isn't it mm. it's that it's that romanticized beautiful moment that you want to hold on to forever mm. and that's how it's written we are meant to remember this moment too yeah it's quite um sentimental isn't it it's quite beautiful okay so the next two very brief um moments extracts that i'm going to go through relating to nature is more about the idea of animals and Mm. kaya as i've said before um kaya seems to have more of a connection with animals than she does with humans yeah and i think that's partly because of kaya's alienation and Mm. Animals don't judge. They don't, no. And there are a few very um, significant points, even with um, the cat towards the end, with the birds on the beach. It's like they are her companions. Absolutely. They can't leave her. They can't betray her. No, and she'll speak to them as well, and she'll look after them. So Mm. the one that I'm going to read first is this one here where she she identifies identifies with certain, certain creatures. They went out in the boat again the next day, and in a dark lagoon, Kaya spotted the soft breast feathers of a great horned owl floating on the surface, each curled at both ends so that they drifted around like tiny orange boats. She scooped them up and put them in her pocket. Later, she found an abandoned hummingbird nest woven onto a stretched branch and tucked it safely in the bow. Oh, she's looking after an abandoned nest, and that's almost like representing her craving of being looked after herself because she also has been abandoned i've just had a thought as well the whole collecting of feathers it's like collecting of missing pieces yes of of animals and and she admires their beauty but i think the collecting it gives her a purpose and collecting feathers um feathers imply freedom Mm. the ability to fly away and and she slowly as the novel grows an ability to be free to venture out of um, her constraints of society. Um, Another extract which I really like, only a couple of sentences long, but it's Kaya's knowledge of animals Mm. and how this actually becomes quite symbolic. Female fireflies draw in strange males with dishonest signals and eat them. Mantis females devour their own mates. Female insects, Kaya thought, know how to deal with their lovers. That just says, you know, it pretty much sums up her <laughs> whole experience with men. Yeah, it does, doesn't novel. it? Good. And, and also, it kind of suggests what she now thinks of them. So you can imagine what, what may happen to Kaya, her experiences with men, and now how she views them. Kaya now wants to be the stronger one in the relationship. Mm. I really like how um, it focuses on them 
devouring their yes. mates and they eat them. Um, and it's the female fireflies um, that draw them in with dishonest signals. Yes. So it's the females that are deceive. being dishonest. Mm. Oh, that links so well to the end, doesn't it? Links yeah, so well to the really end. It really does. You've got to read it, everyone. You've got to read it. And I like so how she calls males strange. <laughs> strange yeah. males. These strange creatures that she doesn't really know much about. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> okay, so the, the last point, really, we wanted to talk about was narrative structure. Um, and there is a, a um, an extract to go along with this, but I think first we should talk about the murder mystery that's I woven think so. through. So it's sort of a, a series of flashbacks. Like, I guess, or it jumps forward, doesn't it? So yes. we're following Kaya's life in chronological order from childhood to um, becoming an adult. But as that happens, we're, we're transported to a different time. Yes. So whilst we think we are following the life of Kaya from, you know, age six or seven um, through to her late 60s, at the same time, we have set in 1969 mm. a murder that has happened from someone called Chase Andrews or mm. the murder of sorry Chase Andrews and he's this handsome guy um, who we do find out more about in the rest of the novel mm. Um, mm. but it keeps jumping to the future so we've got this idea of prolepsis which we know the rest of the novel which we have been following of Kaya's past will lead up to because yes. it does start getting more intense and faster paced doesn't mm. it the mm. narrative structure and the more we learn about Kaya, the more we learn about the murder, the events leading up yeah. to it, all those little pieces are pieced together. And, and you are wondering, you know, right up until the very, very end, mm. who's involved, who's yeah. at fault, how did it happen? And it's it's quite clever, actually, because you don't become completely consumed by the idea of who done it. No, not but at all. But actually, it, it adds that little bit of tension and... Mm. Um, drama i guess to the novel it's actually mind-blowing how cleverly this has been constructed Mm. um purely because the murder mystery which you think would be the central focus of this novel is such a subplot Mm, it's secondary isn't it because you Mm. you want to know more about kaya you're more invested in her and that's clever because of Mm. Well, I can't give any spoilers away, but no. it, it's it's really important. And we that know you Kai is Kaya. going to be involved in some way in this murder, but we mm. kind of gloss over that because we're so invested in Kaya's life. Yeah, exactly. And and we we want the best for Kaya. We want her to succeed, mm. and you kind of forget about the murder at times, and then you're reminded again. But also, nice. what I like too is it's not in first person, is it either? So yeah. despite us being so invested in Kaya, it's it's weird because we don't have that direct perspective, mm. but we feel so connected to her. Um, but it's, it's written in the same way. So Kaya's, Kaya's uh, life story is written in the same tense as the murder. So mm. you should have equal grounding and equal rooting for both of those situations, but we're rooting yeah. for Kaya all the way. It's a really... I really, really like it when a book does this, that you almost forget that it's not third uh, that it's not first yeah. person and you forget that you're reading in in third because then when it suddenly switches to somebody else's thoughts or mm. somebody else away from Kaya you remember oh yeah this is third person but it follows Kaya so closely and intimately yeah. um but actually there are still secrets about her that even the reader no doesn't know. and <laughs> honestly I can't keep going on about that final page but you need to read it because there are secrets the reader will find out right up until 
the end. Mm. She it's really incredible. is incredible. She's just a mystery as a person. Mm. I think for your own writing as well, I believe that a lot of people tend to think first person is going to be the most effective for an immersive mm. experience of creative writing. But I have been completely sold on using third person now. I mean, unless the narrator is really interesting and we have literally just started our next book, The Silent Patient, and I read 20 pages last mm -hmm. night and that narration is in first person, but the person is so unusual. Yes. It's amazing. But if it's just a, a story of a girl mm -hmm. that might not sound different or that interesting, third person um, is definitely a really, really yes. good way to include everybody's thoughts. And yes. you can then jump about on the timeline. You can play around with you narrative can. more, can't you? And I think first person sometimes runs the risk of being... Um, told not shown and too much dialogue yeah well. naff isn't it hate that. <laughs> <laughs> we hate dialogue um so the final thing that we're going to talk about with narrative structure is you'll find with this novel there are poems and poetry mm. interweaved throughout and um we can't say anything about why the poems are so meaningful because again that's another secret that you'll have to find out in the novel mm. but the poems have so much meaning and we have found ourselves finishing the novel and going back through the poems mm. because we realise that they actually link to, well, everything. Everything, yeah. And it, that idea of learning to read, learning to write yes. for Kaya, who obviously never went to school, having the poems there are so symbolic of yeah. what she can then understand. There is a line, isn't there? She says, says, go on, you um, say it. Oh, what did she say? She words. says, who knew words could hold so much meaning? Yeah. And it's, it's just... something we take for granted. Yeah, and it does. And it just shows um, how much value Kaya has on the little things, mm. even just one little word. Yeah. And then Tate says to her, well, you'll love poetry. And then and she does. And she does. She absolutely adores it. So this is a poem which just struck me as being probably one of the most significant, I think. Never underrate the heart, capable of deeds the mind cannot conceive. The heart dictates as well as feels. How else can you explain the path I have taken, that you have taken the long way through this pass? I like the uh, the bit there where it says the heart dictates at, um, what we feel. Yes. Um, and that just shows that everybody in this novel really is sort of led by their heart to some extent. There's a real sort of theme of desire and wanting to be fulfilled and to find love and happiness and not be lonely. Yes, and that's and that kind of links back to your previous extract of how mm. the roots and the trees press against Kaya's chest, and it almost links to how um, the heart is capable, the heart dictates, and the heart is the grounding for everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true, very true. <laughs> nothing else to say about that. So that brings us to the end of today's Read the Right Way podcast. And I think ultimately, you just need to go and read this book. You really do. I mean, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. Beautiful. I can't quite believe. I feel, I feel like I, I am honoured to have read <laughs> such an incredible novel. Yeah, I, and I'm so glad I really we did. Do. And you know what? One thing I said, because we were reading this... Um, when did we start? It was sort of January, yes. but we really knuckled down and started to read it more recently yeah. and putting in hours at a time. And 
I have said to Miss Lucas, it just felt so relaxing yeah. to read this. It was I was just so immersed in the description. And my God, do we need relaxing at the moment? <laughs> so, we yeah. do. So any little piece of escapism or a relaxing ten yes. minutes or three hours as I've been spending at the yeah. weekend reading this, yeah. um, you have to take it and I cannot recommend well, we cannot recommend no, this book enough. Definitely. Thank you very much for joining us today in the Read the Right Way book club. We will see you next next time on Read the Right Way.